the power of service comes from within us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ within us, as he said. And I'd like to start with Deuteronomy 6, go to Matthew 14, end up in Judges 15. So we'll see how it goes here. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. This is a passage that uh, is read or quoted in Jewish synagogues and among Jewish people today on a very regular basis. They have a name for it. I forget what they call it, but it's a name they have for it. But Deuteronomy 6 is very pertinent for us today as well. I'm going to read this and describes three altars. And the word altar doesn't appear here, but as I read it, look for the three altars, and then I'll ask you what they are. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Three altars. What's the first one? Verse 5. Heart. Personal altar. What's the second one? Verse 7. Pardon? Your house, your family. Yes. What's the third one? Verse 8 and 9. Which are where? The public. Personal altar, family altar, public altar. You see a progression there? It starts within, impacts the world around us, and goes out. That's how it works. Now, altars are interesting things. The Old Testament speaks of altars. There's a lot you can learn about altars. Who worshipped there? What they did there? Uh, why did they make them? What did they make them out of? You know, where did they put them? Uh, there's a lot of things you can learn about altars. Abraham built altars. Jacob, Isaac, all those people built altars. But there's two things about altars that are very important to remember in this whole discussion. They don't grow. They're not like a tree. I, I work with fruit trees. So you plant a tree and you can ignore the tree and somehow it does what it wants to do. It may not be perfect, but it somehow it does. Not an altar. An altar has to be built. If you don't build it, it won't be there. Second thing, it has to be maintained. There's a wonderful building here. If we were to, uh, were, were to empty this building for 10 years and come back, what would you find? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> What's needed? Maintenance. Altars are like that. They have to be built, have to be maintained. Say it. Altars have to be? Built. Have to be? Maintained. Yeah, remember that. Remember that. Our personal altar with God. It our altars, altars represent our connection with God, where we meet God. And the thing about Abraham, he left Canaan, or he left Ur the Chaldees, went to uh, Haran, and eventually came to Canaan, and he built an altar there. Soon after he got to Canaan, you remember what happened? It's a famine. Do you think that was an accident? Are famines ever accidents? Does God design famines? Yes or no? Yes, yes he does. Do you think that was an accident that this, this uh, famine happened about the time Abraham arrived in Canaan? No. 
That was God timing it, okay? So what does Abraham do? Where do you go? Yeah. And you know, it's significant. In Egypt, he didn't build one altar. Not one. He went away from what God had designed for him. But his experience in Egypt brought him back again. And the first thing he did, he came back to Canaan. What did he do? He built an altar. He renewed his relationship with God again. So altars represent our relationship with God. And they have to be built, have to be maintained. If you haven't built a personal altar, you don't have one. If you don't maintain your personal altar, it's going to go away into dust. You won't have it. Altars have to be, say it. And they have to be? Yeah. And in our Christian life, if we're going to be broken before God, going to be kingdom builders, we have to go back and maintain that altar again and again and again. That's the first thing I want to tell you, point out here from Deuteronomy. And so you see the progression. Personal altar, family altar, people around us, public altar. The public altar there is interesting. It said, he says, put your uh, frontlets between your eyes and uh, what's it say on your wrist? Uh, front, uh, for a sign upon thine hand and frontlets between thine eyes. What they would do in those days, they would take little parchments of skin and write portions from the Torah, the Bible, on these parchments of skin. Put it in a little box and tie it on their forehead. They got in public with these little boxes in their forehead or on their wrist. That was a public statement of their relationship with God. And it's important for us to have that same kind of public statement. The people around us know we're Christians. They know what we stand for. We know that they, know, they know what we believe and why. That they, they understand that we have a connection with God. It's important that we have a public altar. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out here in this session here this morning. Uh, see, how do we title this session? Uh, Kingdom Building... <laughs> Tell me, what did I title it right now? I can't remember. Moves out in faith. Moves out in faith. So it starts in our heart, like I said. And it's a progression. Moves out. Turn to Matthew 14. This is a story of Peter... Walking in water. Amazing story. In the first part of Matthew 14, you have a number of things happening. Among them, Jesus feeds the 5,000 uh, people, 5,000 men, uh, and so on. And in uh, verse 20, 21, it says, They that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Now verse 22 and on. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, and to go before him into the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Notice that. If Jesus had to do that, how much more do we? <laughs> you know, if Jesus is the Son of God, do you think he ever had, did he really have to take time with his Heavenly Father on a personal basis? If he did, how much more do we? This is a regular experience for him. I'm convinced it was. Because he told his disciples, I tell you what I learned from my Father. He was a spokesman for his father. So in verse uh, 23, uh, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit. And they cried out in fear. 
But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Wonderful story. I'd love to have been there. Well, I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I enjoy these stories. I enjoy picturing them. It, and I picture myself standing on, a, like on the bank here <laughs> and watching all this take place like in a movie or something, in a theater. You know. But what would we like to have actually been there? I look forward to someday in heaven talking to these people and saying, Peter, what was that like walking in the water? What was that like in the boat when you were afraid? I want to hear it per- firsthand first person from them. I think I'll be able to do that. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I think about. But uh, So here's Peter, or here's the disciples, and out in the ship. And Jesus was, he went into a mountain apart to pray. As I mentioned, I think that's very significant, that if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we? How much more do we? And so in the fourth watch, what time of the night was that? How do you figure? You're right. Okay. The, 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 the night was divided into four watches. Okay, their day went from six to six. Six in the morning, six in the evening. Six at night, I mean, actually the day started six in the evening, went till six the next evening. But you had two 12-hour days, two 12-hour sections, I mean. So the nighttime started six in the evening, went till six in the morning. You had four watches, six to... Um, 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6. The fourth watch is 3 to 6, right? So picture the disciples. I mean, this is, it says, the evening, Jesus went up the mountain to pray, sent his disciples out in the boat. What are they doing all night out in the boat? Struggling with the waves. What a struggle. You ever been in a struggle like that? You just on and on and on. No, and it's like on and on and on. And finally, Jesus shows up, or something shows up, you know, and you're afraid. What, fourth watch. To me, that's just an amazing part of the story. All night, they were struggling out there in the, in the water. You think Jesus knew they were there? Why didn't he come rescue them? You ever think about that? Don't you think it would be nice Jesus was just coming? You know, ah, oh, what an answer to prayer. Amazing, powerful, would have increased their faith, right? I don't know. Uh, what's your thought? I know what I do. I, I put God in a box way too often. And I visualize how this could be. If God would answer my prayer, this is this would just work out so well. It would be so wonderful if God would just do it this way, okay? He won't be put in the box. He'll do it the way he wants, his way, his time, his thoughts, not mine. And so Jesus, uh, and I give that to him. He was up, up in the mountain. Do you think he knew they were there? Of course he did. He knew all about what they were doing out there. He knew all about their struggle. He knew all about how hard it was, how long it was, how much they were fighting this monster storm that was on them. He knew all about it, and yet he let them go in it, right? But finally, the fourth watch, between 3 and 6 in the morning, he goes out across the water, walking. The water is still, you know, 
splashing and waves and thunder and lightning, whatever it was going there, and they saw him. They thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a spirit. They cried out in fear. They were afraid. I, I would have been too, I think. And, but Jesus said, it's okay. Don't be afraid. It's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter, what a man. He said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. And Jesus said, come. Now, was it God's will for Peter to walk on water? Was it? Okay. What did Jesus say to him? Come. Does that make it God's will? I think so. I think so. It was God's will for Peter to walk on water. Now, did Jesus know how it was going to end for Peter? Are you sure? I think he did. Jesus knows everything. He knew how it would end for Peter. Why didn't he say, well, Peter, uh, you know, I appreciate your zeal. You're a real man of God here, but it's not going to end well for you. Just stay in the boat. You'll be okay there. Jesus said, come, knowing how it would end for Peter. What lesson is there for us? Wow. It's, he's okay when we fail. Hmm. Say more. Okay. Okay. He knew what Peter would learn through this, probably. Okay. Any other lessons? Oh, wow. Our characters develop through struggles. Personal testimony? <laughs> yeah. Can you identify with that? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. If there would be, what does that song go? If, it were, if there never were a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. I wouldn't know that faith in God could do. Remember that song? Old song. Yeah. It develops our character. God knows what he's about. He really does. It may look like he doesn't. It may seem like he doesn't, but he knows all about it. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're experiencing. He knows what other people are saying. He knows it all. Nothing ever surprises him. You know, sometimes it says in, what is it, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above the able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. So I'm hit with something. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. This is really big. Can you help me? You know what God says? Yeah, I knew about it before you did. He did. If Satan wants to bring a temptation, you know what he has to do? What did he do with Job? Had to go to God and say, you know, I want to bring this temptation against this person. Will you allow me to do it? And sometimes God says, yep, he has the faith to overcome it. He has my grace. He'll be, able, he'll be okay. Sometimes he says, nope, you can't go there. God gives permission. Is that okay with you? 
Does that make you feel bad about God a little bit? Then why wouldn't God just avoid, just help us avoid these things? And wouldn't it be nice if we just wouldn't have to experience these things? You know, like Peter. He knew it was going to happen to Peter, and yet he allowed it. He said, come. In fact, this is what he said, come. And Peter steps out of the boat, walks in the water. Amazing. The only person outside of Jesus Christ that ever walked in the water that I'm aware of. I want to talk to Peter about this. I think that would have been an awesome experience. Walking on water. Amazing. And so here he is. He walked in the water to go to Jesus. Was he going the right direction? Yes or no? Sure he was. Did he get there? No. Why? Yeah. His faith wavered. Notice it's significant what Jesus said to him. O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? His faith didn't carry him through. Now what is faith? Okay. That's the negative. What's the positive way to say it? That's good, Leonard. What is faith? Uh-huh. It's seeing what God wants to do and embracing it. Not understanding all the ins and outs of it, all the nuances, all the ins and outs of it, but it's embracing what God wants to do and going with it. That's what Peter did at the beginning. You, know, you picture the waves, you know, and maybe he couldn't even see Jesus all the time. I don't know, but he went to go to Jesus, the right direction, the right place, in God's will. But along the way, his faith failed him. He stopped looking and seeing what Jesus could do through him. You know, I, I don't think his problem was so much that he didn't see Jesus. Jesus is right there. I think Peter knew he would be in, he would be, would be in good hands if something went wrong. But what went wrong? His own faith. He stopped believing that he could do it. Walking in water, that's an incredible thing. <laughs> you know, how can you walk in water? You can't unless Jesus helps you. So here he was walking in water. He believed he could. He embraced what could happen even though he didn't see it. He knew it was God's will. He was going forward in God's will. He knew it was going to be. And in faith and the power of God, he was doing it. But the minute he stopped believing he could do it, he started to sink. Is that a lesson for us too? What is God asking you to do that's bigger than you are? What thing is overwhelming you? What assignment is hitting you between the eyes and you're saying, where do I go from here? What situation are you facing that is confusing, bigger than you are. That's what this is about. There are answers. There are solutions. Embrace them. Go forward in the faith and power of God. That's where Peter failed. Kingdom building moves on in faith. Can't always see, probably usually can't see the whole picture, and yet sees enough of it, you embrace it, and you say, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going. We're going to go with God, however he works it out. What I picture is that Peter was almost drowning. You know, his faith failed. He's in the water thrashing, and, you know, and, and Jesus pulls down, picks him up by the hair, and puts him back in the boat. That's what I picture. I don't know if that's how it was, but that's what I picture. I think if Peter was desperate, 
I think he was maybe thought he was done. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't swim or what, but he, 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 was, he was done. He was lost. And Jesus rescued him and said, why didn't you trust me? Where was your faith? What happened to your faith? And sometimes in the middle of what, whatever assignment we've been given, we lose our faith. We get discouraged. We turn and run. We go away. We say, oh, I can't do this. Is that true? It's a lie from Satan. You can by the power of God. Whatever God asks you to do, you can do it. God's grace is always sufficient. You have to reach out for it and embrace it and allow God to use you in that way. Any comments? Any testimonies? Okay. 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 Excellent. And instead of that, he should have been looking where? Yeah. Yeah. You know what he said? Peter spent a lot of time looking at what he was scared at, scared of. Oh, that hits me between the eyes. Yeah, how often am I overwhelmed by things I'm scared of? Mm-hmm. Worry. That's where worry comes from. We look at the things we're scared of. We look at the things that we can't figure out. Look at the things we can't change. You're looking in the wrong place. Yeah. Embrace in faith what God is calling you to do and do it. Occasionally, I hear from young people and young married couples. This is another subject, but I'm just bringing this in as an example. They say, well, is it worth having children? In the world we live in today, you hear a lot, of, a lot about the evilness of our world, all the, you know, everything. Is, is it worth having children? What grow, world are they going to grow up in? What's the answer? Yes. I love hearing that. Why is it worth it? Absolutely. And God's grace is sufficient to the call. He's asking us to walk on water in faith. Embrace in faith. No, we can't see everything. But trust me, the children that God wants to bring through you, you young couples and so on, they are born at this time for this, this day and age. They're here for, because they're called to be here. You're here as a young person. You're here right now because God called you to be here. And you're, God wants to use you right here now. Not 30 years ago, not 30 years in the future, right now. And God knows all about our world. He knows all about the things you face. He knows all about the things that are confusing to us but yet he's called us right here at this time and place to go on doing the work of the kingdom, building the kingdom. And God wants to keep on having families and promoting the kingdom of God through our families and so on. Yeah. Sure. This is what? You mean where... Oh, yes. 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 Thank you for that, Caroline. Caroline. Yeah. I appreciate that. It wasn't total failure. His faith failed him, but he found it again. Yeah. Lord, save me. And the Lord was right there. The Lord was right there. Yeah. Peter was where Isaiah was. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm through. I'm finished. There's nothing I can do anymore. And God, God was right there. So there's always hope. It doesn't matter how much we've failed, how much we've uh, fallen short. 
God is always there. And in our desperation, we will find him. I had a man I spoke to a number of years ago. He was doing some publishing for us. And uh, he told me he was not a believer, at least not an not a evangelical believer. But he said, I was driving down the road. It's a clear day, blue sky, sunshine, no other car in sight. Somehow I got off the road. The car rolled a couple times. It's totally demolished, and I came out without a scratch. Why did that happen to me like that? I said, I think God is speaking to you. He wants you to give your heart to Jesus. He wants you to serve him. He's talking to you. He saved your life because he wants to talk to you. He said, well, how do I find him? I said, you pray and ask God. You confess your sins and ask him to come into your heart. He said, oh, that's too easy. He's an Orthodox man. He believed in, you know, the praying to the saints and all that sort of thing. But I told him, I said, when you get desperate for God, you'll find him. That was Peter. That was Isaiah. And that's us. When we get desperate for him, we'll find him. And so kingdom building moves out in faith and does great exploits for God in faith. Not necessarily seeing the end or seeing, understanding all the ins and outs of the thing, but embracing in faith what God wants to do and doing it and trusting him, trusting him completely. Turn to Judges 14 yet. This is an example from the Old Testament that uh, helps illustrate a point I'm making here. It's about Samson. Now, when you think about Samson, what are the things you think of? Strength. Strength, yep. What are some other things you think of? Weakness. Weakness, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Both, yeah. Is Samson somebody that you talk to your children about as a good example to follow? Let me put it this way. How many children do you know that are named Samson? I know of one. How many children do you know that are named Joshua? Caleb. Yeah, we like those names. Jacob. Abraham. You know, some of those names aren't quite as popular, but yeah. Those are but Samson, who named your children after Samson? Almost no one. Why? Well, here's another. I was going to turn... Turn, I'm going to read a verse out of Hebrews for you and ask you a question. Hebrews 11, verse 32. Now, Hebrews 11 is a faith chapter. It talks about, about Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, and all these great people did all these wonderful things for God. Verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell you? Gideon, a Barak, of Samson. Samson? of Jephthah, David also, and Samuel, the prophets. Why is Samson noted in the Hall of Faith? What put him there? You ever think about that? Would you put it in there if you'd have been writing Hebrews 11? I don't think I would have. I'm not questioning God. But when you think of Samson, you don't usually think of mighty acts of faith, like Abraham, or Jacob, or Moses. You think of the negative stuff. But there's a beautiful thing about Samson that we often overlook, and that is at least four or five times in Judges 13 to 15, it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Isn't that amazing? 
that ever happened to you? Yes. Is that good? That's wonderful. It tells us he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. He was a successful judge most of his life. For reasons that I can't understand or won't explain, you know, Judges seems to highlight the immoral things he did. But it's in there. It talks about the Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he, he judged Israel 20 years successfully. It tells us twice in, this, in this, those three chapters that he did that. Now, when you picture, if you were drawing Samson, how would you draw him? Some of you are artists, you like to draw things. Faith, how would you draw Samson? Okay. <laughs> Isn't that how the children's books usually have him? You know, you know, big muster, you know, man, macho guy, you know. You know how I think, uh, how I think Samson looked? I don't know. I didn't see him. I think he looked like Myron. Or, let's see, what's your name? Jamin. Jeremy. Just like an ordinary person. I don't think he looked anything different than anybody else in the whole land of Israel. I may be wrong, but I don't think so. He got his strength when what happened to him? When the Spirit of the Lord came on him, that's when he got his strength. Otherwise, ordinary man. And I suppose if that's true, I would think that's why people were so sort of surprised at what he could do. You know, they thought they had him, and they'd, he'd carry off the city gates. You know, he got a job in the house and, you know, killed all those people. He was a strong man, but most of the time, they, he was, they were surprised. So 3,000, well, we'll look at that. Judges, Judges 14. Break into the story here. Uh, so he went down to, uh, uh, what was the name of that city? Timnath saw a woman of the Philistines and said, get her for me. So part of his, the story of his immorality here, he was after this Philistine woman. And to go through all that. And so they had this feast for seven days, and, and uh, he was strong, and, and uh, they wanted to know what the secret of his strength was, and he wouldn't tell. And well, no, I'm sorry, that's later. He had this riddle for him. He had this riddle, okay, where the lion and the honey and all that. Uh, see, it was a riddle. Verse 14, out of the eater came forth meat, out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they couldn't figure out the riddle. So in the seventh day of the feast, they, they persuaded Samson's bride, who was going to be his bride, to, to tell her the answer to the riddle, which she did, and she told them. And so he had to pay up, all right? So the deal was, if, if you know the riddle, I'll pay. If you, if you don't know the riddle, you'll pay. So they figured out the riddle, and he had to pay. So in verse... Uh, Verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, and so on. So <clears throat> after a while, verse 15, chapter 15, Samson uh, decided to go down to, to, to have his wife. 
It came to pass within a while after, in the time of the wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid and said, I will go into my wife into the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. What a mess. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Think about this. Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands, turned tail to tail, and put a firebrand in the midst between the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks and also the standing corn and the vineyards of the olives. Think about the logistics of what Samson did. How many of you are trappers? I'm not. How many of you have ever tried to catch a fox? Maybe shot one. How many of you have ever caught a fox live? <coughs> Samson caught 300 of these buggers. 300! That's a lot of foxes. Was it a miracle? I don't know, but it happened. That's what it says. He caught 300 foxes. Now, if you, if you had a, a bunch of foxes, what were you going to do with them? I mean, how long would it take to catch 300 foxes? I don't know. More than a day, right? So day one, you catch a fox. Day two, you catch another fox. What are you going to do with the two? Put them in the same pen? Uh, probably not. So let's say it takes three months to catch 300 foxes. What are you going to do with 300 foxes, live animals? That's what Samson did. Think about it. That's what he did. Someone said, well, he had help. It doesn't say that. We can't conclude that he had help. It just says he did it. The Spirit of the Lord came on him and he did it. That's faith. That's faith. Right? Now, one thing I didn't highlight, Samson's purpose for being born back in Judges 13. <clears throat> Verse 5. Thou shalt conceive and bear a son. This is the man of God, the angel talking to Manoah's wife. Thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Begin to deliver. Did Samson do that? Yes, he did. He fulfilled God's call in his life. That's what he did. He really did. And so, in this situation here, he's, he's seeking revenge. Now, this is not the New Testament, all right? This is the Old Testament. He's doing God's will and killing the Philistines, destroying God's enemies, and, and, and dealing with them, being, bringing vengeance on them. So he caught 300 foxes. So picture, let's say it takes three months to catch 300 foxes. What are you going to do with 300 foxes, live animals, till you have them all caught? We have to keep them somewhere. Pens or what? I don't know what, but he did something with them. And then it says... He turned them tail to tail, put a firebrand in the middle of two tails. I remember as a boy, we, uh, it wasn't too nice, I guess, but we'd, we'd take cats and tie their tails together. It was kind of funny. You know, they'd try and run away from each other. They couldn't get along. But picture tying the tail of two foxes together, putting a torch in the middle with fire on it. That's what he did. 
I don't know how he did this stuff, but in the power, the spirit of God, that's what he did, faith. See, he's in the faith chapter. There's a reason he's in the faith chapter. Maybe this is why. But what he did, he did in faith. You see, he embraced what God wanted to do through him, and he did it. Was he perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. Are you, ever, are you going to fail sometimes? Yes. Is God okay with us failing sometimes? I think. I guess. I believe. <laughs> yeah. Does God still use us even if we fail? Sure he does. Did he use Samson? Absolutely. He's in the hall of faith. He turned these foxes tail to tail, tied them together. And you, you know, how do you control a wild fox? Put a muzzle on his, you know, I don't know. But you tie their tails together, set it on fire, and set them loose in the Philistines' wheat fields. You know, brought destruction. That's, that was the idea. That was the idea. And, of course, it made the Philistines angry. But I'm highlighting this as an example of what God wanted to do through a Samson. And Samson cooperated, and God did it. He's a man of faith. Did Samson know how, the end, how it all was going to work out? No, I don't think so. He went as God directed him. And again, I say the, the negative parts of his life were there. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. But I am saying that God used him, even in his failures. He's a man of faith. And he will use us too, even in failure. So again, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how much we've failed. It doesn't matter how much we've fallen short. God can use us, and he will use us if we embrace in faith what he wants us to do. Peter walked in water because he believed that God could use him to do it. When he stopped believing God could do it, then he couldn't walk in water anymore. And you and I can walk in water too as we embrace and believe that God wants to do and God can do, and we trust him, total trust. Any comments or testimony? Descriptive of your life, you'd have written it differently than what God has written it? Yeah. Same. Same for me. Yeah. So kingdom building begins in the heart. Kingdom building moves out in faith. Embracing what God wants to do and trusting him. God bless you. You've been a great audience.